Radio.ie hosts the Irish History Show podcast because history matters. Radio turns 100 years young this year. Radio's history is powered by Radio Archives. For radio archiving solutions from people passionate about radio, visit radio.ie. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Show. My name is Cahill Brennan, and on this episode, my co-presenter, John Dorney, is speaking to Dr. Porrick Og O'Rourke about the historic 1917 East Clare by-election, in which Eamon de Valera, the leader of Sinn Féin, first entered Parliament. Radio.ie hosts the Irish History Show podcast because history matters. Radio turns 100 years young this year. Radio's history is powered by radio archives, for radio archiving solutions from people passionate about radio, visit radio.ie. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish History Pod or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Irish History Show. If you get a chance, please take a moment to rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify or whichever platform you get your podcasts on, as it really helps us. If you'd like to listen to any previous episodes of the show, our archive is up on our website, irishhistoryshow.ie. So now we have John Dorney speaking to Dr. Porrick Og O'Rourke. Porrick Og O'Rourke, author of the recently acclaimed book Truce, uh, The Last Days of the Irish War of Independence. Welcome. Thanks, Tom. We're here to talk about the July 1917 by-election in East Clare. Now, before we get into any detail, Podrick, why is this a big deal? This is a massive deal because it's when Eamon de Valera emerges in public. It is his first his first election. He's an elected uh, MP for the East Clare constituency. And de Valera is obviously, anyone who knows anything about history, is a very controversial figure. But like him or load him, he is the dominant figure in 20th century Irish politics. And his legacy still has a huge impact on the Irish political scene today. So it's also a point where the Republicans are kind of in chaos after the rising and de Valera is the figure that, that unifies them in this election, gets them all behind them in his campaign. Marks the first real breakthrough, not the first by-election victory actually, but the first real breakthrough of the new Sinn Féin. The first breakthrough, um, it's difficult even to call them Sinn Féin because the 1916 Rising is obviously organised by this kind of loose coalition of old Fenians, Republican radicals, the Labour movement, the suffragettes and coming Amman. They all come together to fight for a republic. But then the media gets it wrong and the Irish Times dubs it the Sinn Féin Rebellion. And the Sinn Féin is a loose catch-all term for people who were just opposed to the status quo and who had a kind of a, an independent streak in them. In 1917, when we talk about Sinn Féiners, the Sinn Féin party was led by Arthur Griffith, who hadn't taken part in the rebellion, even though the rebellion was named after his party. He was a dual monarchist. He wanted full independence for Ireland, but as people know, he wanted to keep the British king still as head of state, as kind of a, a sop to the unionists. And then the first guy who was elected in 1917 was George Plunkett in a, a by-election. He was the father of Joseph Mary Plunkett, 1916, signatory of the proclamation. And he obviously doesn't like Arthur Griffith and he's dual monarchist politics. And he sets up the Liberty Clubs, which are his own kind of independent political party based on the principles of 1916. So these two guys are the two political figures. They're very much at odds. And then 
while they're having a massive row about who's going to control the new party and the new movement, in steps Eamon de Valera. Now, who's he? He's pretty much unknown at the time, but he's seen by the 1916 prisoners who'd just been released kind of in the, the early summer of 1917, the very last batch of prisoners. He is seen as their unofficial leader. And you have the official Sinn Féin party, uh, you have Plunkett's Liberty Clubs, and you have the 1916 prisoners coming together under the one-term Sinn Féin to contest by-elections. In terms of Clare, the, there was a by-election because a man named Willie Redmond died. Tell, tell us about that. Tell us well, about Willie Redmond. The name, the name Redmond will ring a bell because William Redmond was brother of John Redmond, who was leader of the Parliamentary Party, better known as the Home Rule Party. He's leader of the official constitutional nationalist, uh, the people who dominated Irish politics. Now, Redmond tells all his followers, you know, we need to support the British war effort and go to the front and fight for Britain and the empire and we might get home rule afterwards. Redmond obviously doesn't put on a uniform, doesn't pick up a gun himself. But in fairness to his brother, Major William Redmond, he practices what he preaches. I mean, he's a member of Parliament for East Clare um, from 1892 to, uh, to 1917. He didn't have to go to war. He volunteered for it, he signed up, and he gets killed in June of uh, 1917 at the Battle of Messines. This is when the British dig a huge amount of tunnels under this German position and blow it up with the largest explosion, I think, before World War II and kill 10,000 German soldiers in the process. The British plan is to race through the decimated German lines and go straight on to Berlin. Of course, things don't go according to plan, and one of the first casualties that day is Major William Redmond, who was the MP for Clare. Now, why this was important, the real reason is the national scene. Sinn Féin had won this election in Roscommon in February of 1917. Count Plunkett, the father of the 1916 leader, had been elected, and he won with a majority of about 2,000 votes. Now, that was massive, totally unexpected, shocked the, the media, shocked politicians, shocked everyone. But it was written off by the home rulers. They said people only voted for this guy out of sympathy for his son. Who was executed. Who was executed. So the next time is May of 1917. There's a second by-election. And again, this Republican candidate has stood Joe McGuinness, who's a 1916 veteran who's in prison. And he wins by just 37 votes. And again, the home rulers are saying, oh, this, this is a fluke. It's people who are sympathetic for him. Because he's in prison. Because he's in prison. The Shindainers had 2,000 of a surplus. Now they're just getting 37. This is almost over. The third by-election, which is the one people don't talk about, actually happens in South Dublin when the sitting Home Rule MP dies and basically Sinn Féin are so divided and the Parliamentary Party and get into a coalition with the Unionists and actually have an agreed candidate and Sinn Féin can't even put up anyone against them. So if we were looking at this in political terms today, we'd say... Margin of 2,000 down to 37. Suddenly the party or the Republicans, the movement, can't even field a candidate. This is over. So when Major Redmond dies and it causes a by-election in Clare, the Home Rulers are saying, this is it, we'll win this, it's finished. Whereas the rebels are saying, we need to win this, otherwise we are out of the game, this is over. Prior to the rising, which kind of creates a new reality in Ireland, but the major difference um, in, in tangible terms between the separatists and the Home Rulers in the previous two years, is the First World War. Mm -hmm. And in a way, isn't the Clare election kind of lining up on one side or the other of this, where Redmond's thing of, you know, go and fight for small nations versus the Sinn Féin version or the, the, the rebel, the volunteer version. It's not run as a campaign 
um, a kind of personality contest between Patrick Lynch, who's the Home Rule Party's candidate, and uh, and De Valera. It's run really as um, a referendum on two issues. And one is the idea of conscription and Irish involvement in the First World War. And the other one is tactics and the kind of political future of, of Ireland. The big difference between the Home Rule Party, we often talk today about, oh, you know, John Bruton, you know, politicians like him often say, sure, if we had Home Rule, we'd have a united Ireland fully independent of Britain and there had been no bloodshed. But the Home Rule Party were very much for king, for empire. They didn't want Ireland to leave the United Kingdom. They just wanted more local government. And they also, of course, took their seats in the Houses of Parliament, whereas the Republican idea... Sinn Féin and inverted commas, not necessarily the Sinn Féin party at this point. Their idea was, we want full independence from Britain, we stand on the Prince of the 1916 Rising, we want a fully independent Irish Republic, we won't take our seats in Westminster, and we're opposed to British imperialist wars, like the First World War. Those are really the two issues in the campaign. Occasionally votes for women comes up, there are stories about how will this affect, you know, old age pensions and stuff, but realistically, there's two issues, and it is conscription should Ireland have conscription and more importantly this is linked into it's kind of run as a referendum in the 1916 rising was it right was it wrong so you've got two very divisive issues participation in the first world war and the fallout from the easter rising let's talk about the Sinn Féin candidate Eamon de Valera is just a just released from prison in time for the election firstly I think he had never actually even been in Clare before the election he had no local connections to the county he was, of course, the son of a, a Spanish father and a Limerick mother, born in New York, raised in Ireland in, uh, in County Limerick. The people at Clare didn't actually know who he was. The people out canvassing for him couldn't even pronounce his name. They would say, vote for the fellow with the strange name, vote for the Spaniard, as he was called. And de Valera got pronounced as de Valtra or devil may care and all these strange things. It's because he was seen as a key figure, rightly or wrongly, in the, the, the rising. And when he actually came down to Clare, he said in his election speeches, this isn't a personal vote for me. We are voting here to show the world that Irishmen have a spirit of independence in them, that the 1916 rising was right. And if I win, this will be a monument to the glorious dead, as he calls them, of 1916 and the people who fought in, uh, in Dublin. We've all been aware I suppose of the cult of de Valera but that's a later thing that's not what's happening in this this election it kind of comes to the fore here because like anyone who knows really a lot about or is interested in the 1916 rise knows de Valera isn't a key figure he's not a guy who signs the proclamation he's in charge of Boland's Mills where you know, it's not a place where there's a massive debt toll for the British Army or anything. He starts the rising, you know, again, you know, he's very brave to go out and take part in a rebellion. He's not a professional soldier. He seems to do quite well at the beginning of the week, but he refuses to delegate authority to anyone else. He ends up not sleeping, inventing this complicated system of passwords, almost getting shot himself by one of his men for not remembering his passwords. And things in Boland's Mills are kind of chaotic at the end of the week under his leadership. Where he gets a lot of credit is the fact that the Battle of Mount Street Bridge happened in the same area and in his election literature in Clare it actually says this is the guy who made the knots and derbies the Sherwood foresters by the dust during Easter week so he gets the credit for that and this myth is built up around him that he is the hero of Boland's Mills the last surviving commandant of 1916 which isn't of course true there were numerous other commandants uh, Liam Mellows Thomas Ash W.J. Brennan Whitmore but De Valera is seen as the last man who surrendered the last link we have to 1916, this is the guy we've got to vote in. Well, his military record in the rising, you know, isn't isn't 
you know, stunning compared to others, where he really makes a name for himself and it is deserved is in prison. I think it's most of the people who are interned after the rising don't actually get a formal court martial. They're locked up in Vrangok prison in Wales, this kind of makeshift internment camp. They're all released at Christmas in 1916. But there's a kind of hardcore of guys who've been sentenced to death or sentenced to life in prison who are still in English prisons. And it's there De Valera makes a name for himself because he starts rowing with the British, uh, the British prison authorities about right to letters, uh, right to prisoner of war treatment. He goes on a hunger strike at one point, And it's here really rowing with the British authorities that he makes a name for himself. So when the prisoners are released in June of 1917, coincidentally at the same time the by-election is called, they all come home to a real hero's welcome. I mean, the streets are thronged to meet De Valera, Markovic, all these people coming back home from, from prison. And he is seen very much as the, the man of the hour. Let's talk about the County Clare context. We talk about, you know, the Constitutional Party and the elections in Ireland and, and so on. And we are, we're constantly talking about democratic mandates. But Ireland is really a semi-democracy at this point. Well... To get the vote in 1917, you had to be male, you had to be a property owner, you had to be over 21 years. Uh, if you look at it, only about 15% of the Irish population actually had the vote. The East Clare constituency would have gone from Ballyvaughan in uh, North West Clare, up near the Cliffs of Moher, right down to Meadic, Partine, Clonlara, on the border with Limerick City, half the county. Only 8,000 people in that area actually had the vote. Now, today, that would be just over a quarter. But back then, that was the entire electorate. No votes for women at all. And really, you had a stranglehold on Irish politics. In the South, in largely Catholic nationalist areas, the Home Rule Party would stand candidates and no one would oppose them or no one would be allowed to oppose them. So in County Clare, this was the first election in 22 years. And in the North, then, you had the Unionist Party and in Dublin City as well, in, in parts of it, and they simply were so strong in their areas that no one could challenge them for authority. So really, this was the first time that a lot of people in Clare um, had actually even been given the right to vote in a, in a, an election or by-election. Can we talk a little bit about the IPP or the Rebendite candidate, uh, Patrick Lynch? Yeah, Patrick Lynch was... Um, uh, a barrister, I think, at King's Council uh, from Clare Castle in County Clare. Very well respected, came from a very kind of leading Clare political family, had been a very strong supporter of Parnell. He had been, a, uh, I think, a Crown prosecutor in Kerry. And during the campaign, Sinn Féin tried to make out that he had prosecuted rebel uh, leaders after rising. This was totally false. Stood for the party, officially stood as an independent. The Home Rule Party was in so shock and so much shock and John Redmond seems to have taken his brother's death so badly that they weren't organised enough to actually stand a candidate and officially he stood as a, as an independent but uh, De Valera never held Lynch's opposition uh, never took it personally because years later he actually appointed him I think Attorney General so say what you like about De Valera but in this case he wasn't uh, he wasn't bitter he didn't take it personally The Sinn Féin rhetoric about how De Valera is a hero of 1916 mm -hmm. and, uh, and he stands you know, for Ireland, Ireland free and a nation and so forth can we talk a bit about the IPP, the Redmondite, rhetoric and tactics in the election? This gets really dirty, it gets really personal, and there's a few different things. If we look at the, the parliamentary party at the time, they're very strong linked to a group called the Ancient Order of Hibernians. Now, in Ireland today, we don't really know these people. They only exist in a few areas around Cavan and Monaghan on the border. They'd be more popular in America. But the Hibernians were a racist, really, 
you know, uh, sectarian, extreme right wing Catholic male only fraternity. And their idea was that to be Irish, you had to be Catholic. Protestants, other people were only, you know, fake, didn't come into it. And, you know, they were very strongly opposed to republicanism. They launched physical attacks on Irish Republicans. Sean McDermott, the 1916 Rising leader, was actually physically beaten up quite badly by Hibernians in 1906. Uh, they attacked uh, women seeking to vote, would actually physically attack them and, uh, and stone them. And they were also involved in a lot of blatantly sectarian violence in Ulster. Earlier uh, by-elections, going back to, I think it's, 1907 there's a by-election in Leitrim it's the first time Sinn Féin stands a candidate against the home rulers and when Protestant Republicans come down people like uh, Bulmer Hobson and uh, Darrell Fidges and campaign for the Sinn Féin candidate they're described as Belfast orange men paid by the the British and this kind of stuff feeds into the campaign run by the the home rule movement in Clare their official election slogan is a Clare man for Clare fair enough you know local fella let's vote in a local guy but when you look at the speeches they make they start talking about you know Patrick Lynch and John Redmond we are thoroughbred Celts we are patriots we are Christian you start getting into this religious and uh, kind of racist language they talk about De De Valera as a stranger a foreigner and a half. Now, De Valera is a guy who's lived almost all of his life in Ireland. He is a fluent Irish speaker and he's a guy who has fought for Irish independence in the 1916 Rising. And he's been described as a foreigner, a stranger, and a half breed. Now, if you look at other people in the Rising, Patrick Pierce, his father's English, did any home rulers at the time describe him as a foreigner? James Connolly, born out of the country as well, is he ever described as a foreigner? No. What you're really getting at is there's something deeper below this. And what I found was a reference to graffiti being put up in Killaloo during the election campaign that read, and I quote, De Valera the Jew put the bastard down, end quote. And this is blatantly anti-Semitic. And what it is, it's coming out of a dirty tricks campaign saying that De Valera is the illegitimate son of a New York Jew and that he is part of some crazy Jewish New World Order conspiracy to destroy the Home Rule Party and this kind of stuff. Now, anti-Semitism, you know, probably isn't that prevalent in, in Ireland today, but in a very strongly Catholic Christian society of the, you know, the, the early 1900s, this would not have been unusual. Anti-Semitism would have been fairly common in Ireland, in Britain and in, uh, in mainland Europe as well. The other thing that, that feeds into this is a lot of people actually canvassing for De Valera as Republicans would have been from a non-Catholic background. Daryl Fidges, the uh, the Protestant Republican, is down there canvassing for him. Uh, Countess Markovic is one of the leading people canvassing for De Valera. She, of course, is a Protestant, though, in the process of converting to Catholicism at this stage. And also Michael Noyek, the uh, Lithuanian-born uh, Dublin Jew, he is a leading Republican in this period and for years afterwards. And I think it's the fact that they're trying to play, you know, this, this anti-Semitic campaign, not just against De Valera, but against all the Republicans. Priest at the time famously declares that the, the Sinn Féiners are all foreigners, communists and rainbow chasers. There's this kind of hate campaign. These are different people. These are outsiders. These are troublemakers. Stick with the home rulers. We're, you know, good Irish Catholics from good families like yourselves. Don't be voting for this Jewish bastard. That is the line they're going with. Irish elections at this time are, are famously rambunctious. There's often intimidation, fistfights, uh, things like this. How, how does that play out in County Clare in 1917? Well, let's be blunt about it. They're, they're outright violent. 
violence is used by both sides. We're not just going to condemn the, the home rulers here. The Republicans use violence as well. And what you have is a lot of what we'll call casual violence, whereby supporters of each side meet, they maybe have a few drinks on board, and there's fistfights and so on. Would have been probably common enough in, in election, contested elections at the time. What's different about this, though, is the home rule movement have their private army in the ancient order of Hibernians and they are organised, a lot of them are ex-soldiers or serving soldiers on leave and they're launching a lot of the attacks on the, the Sinn Féin or Republican candidates. And on the Republican side then you have the Irish Volunteer Movement now becoming the Irish Republican Army or IRA who are trained, who are disciplined and they are launching attacks on the home rulers. Cars are a big thing at the time. They're a new technology. People would turn up and speak from the back of cars or drive cars around the constituency flying the flag or the poster. And home rulers, you know, attack cars and steal flags off them and, and stone people. And the, the Republicans do likewise. And they're stealing petrol off each other. And even things like there's an ambush at one stage of a group of De Valera supporters who are traveling to uh, to Broadford for an election rally. They find the roadway blocked and um, they get out to clear the stones. And when they do, there's rifle shots being fired at them. And the Republicans who were involved in that claim that the Royal Irish Constabulary, you know, the British police force in Ireland at the time, were actually responsible. Uh, responsible. Um, the RIC seemed to have come down very heavily, as you would expect, against the, the Republicans. One RIC sergeant in Killaloo is actually charged with assault on uh, election day. But again, it's important to say that both sides in this instance engaged in uh, in violence when the county sheriff, um, I think he's Thomas Crow, is going around inspecting the elect polling centres. He's met with a group of armed men, presumably Republicans, who stop him and ask him, is he voting for Lynch? As if they're not going to let him through, and then he identifies himself. And you also get probably a small amount of, uh, of voter fraud involved in the the count and things like that as well. So it is violent, and it's totally different to how we would think of elections today. You know, think of elections in the north of Ireland and violence around them in the 70s or 80s. It was much more like that. This even predates the First World War, like Cork, for example, when the all Fergal and Lee came along, there were, there were serious riots in places like Cork and Mayo. So Again, the, the Hibernians seem to have been involved in that. The All yeah. for Ireland League were very much about, we want home rule, but it has to be a Protestant-friendly Ireland, uh, you know, home rule, not Rome rule. And uh, they're very much Cork-based, and when there's this famous election, you know, com- convention, there's a, the, the Hibernians are guarding the stage, saying don't let anyone with a Cork accent near the stage. And it's called the Batten Convention because they break out into fistfights. But that's that's the kind of stuff that's that's going on at the time. The Catholic Church are totally and utterly opposed to the uh, the Republicans. What you have is the hierarchy of the Catholic Church, basically the, the the bishops, the parish priests, and so on, opposed to this new radical Republican movement. And the reason for that is that the Republicans. A lot of them were kind of secular. They talked about uniting Catholic, Protestant, Wolf Tones ideal. But if you look at the 1916 rise in the proclamation, everyone says, Ed says, you know, in the name of God. That means they're religious. But this is the IRB's constitution at the time. In the Irish Republic, there should be no state religion, but every citizen shall be free according to his conscience, and perfect freedom of worship will be guaranteed as a right and not granted as a privilege. This is something that scares the Catholic Church. They're very closely associated with the Home Rule Party. And Joe Devlin, who's one of the leaders of the Home Rule Party, describes it as the right arm of the Catholic Church. And Catholic priests like Father Stephen Slattery of Quinn warned that voting for the Sinn Féiners will lead to, quote, red ruin and revolution. And you also have another guy, Canon Michael Hayes and Fecal, who says, In this crisis I stand on the side of faith and fatherland for Lynch and the constitutional movement. Sinn Féin has a policy of socialism and anarchy which strikes at the very roots of peace, goodwill and Christian charity. 
The church has spoken on this issue and warned us that the Sinn Féin movement possesses a, a great danger to our faith and our country. So I urge you to rescue our religion and our country from a great danger by returning Mr Lynch and a Clare man and not a foreigner by an overwhelming majority. It seems and remarkable to have Eamon de Valera referred to in these terms. Actually, yeah, but absolutely. But what actually happens on polling day and the Bishop of Clare, Bishop, uh, I think is Michael Fogarty, is key in this. Before the rising in Clare, only five priests would condemn the Home Rule Party. When the election kind of selection campaign is going on, there's reports of 60 or 100 priests turning up to canvass for de Valera. Now, where do these guys all come from? To me, they're younger priests and a lot of them are Fairweather supporters. They can see which way the wind is blowing and they're overnight converts to republicanism. And the Bishop of Clare at the time, Michael Fogarty, is key in this as well. He is somebody that has condemned the Fenians, has condemned the land war, and makes a very mixed and cautious statement on the 1916 Rising. He says, you know, the Rising was wrong, it was foolish, but the guys who did it were brave. He's hedging his bets. He's one of the few bishops that does that. And during the election campaign, unlike other bishops who come out and condemn Sinn Féin, while there's loads of priests condemning Sinn Féin, this bishop stays quiet. He's one of the first guys to go and vote on, uh, on polling day. And he doesn't say who he votes for. And the Sinn Féiners say, oh, he's voted for us, he's voted for de Valera. But um, Bishop Fogarty only comes out after de Valera wins and goes, of course I voted for de Valera. So he's a guy who's watching how his flock moves very carefully. And afterwards, he actually becomes a trustee of the Dáil Loan. He becomes basically a leading Republican until the Civil War, when, of course, he, um, he supports the pro-treaty side. The election result itself, it's, the count was held in the NS, uh, the NS courthouse, still there today, and there's actually a statue of de Valera out the front. De Valera comes in with 5,010 votes. Lynch comes in with just 2,035. So it's a landslide election. There is no doubt in anyone's mind after this that, you know, the Republicans have the day. This is a new movement. There is a certain amount of voter fraud and you have the tally men inside counting the votes. And it's worth looking up Thomas Pugh's, his uh, BMH statement, because he was a Dublin 1916 veteran and it was him and Michael Collins who were actually counting the, uh, the election votes inside. And these guys had been in prison and they were obviously used to slipping things past the guards, sleight of hand, they perfected all this. So Pew says, I would often take a lynch vote and count it for de Valera. Michael Collins was standing behind me. He knew what I was at and he kept giving me sly digs in the back, whispering in my ear, you're a belly ruffian, Pew. And he says that we were up in a room pretty high in the courthouse. It was a big wall and it's still exactly the same today if you go there. There was a big wall surrounding the place. It was like a prison. The result of the election was that de Valera won by 3,000 odd votes with a bit of help from Pew, uh, and Dev Collins and I were static. I took a cigarette pack from my pocket. I wrote on the inside that Devil Air I got just over 5,000 votes and Lynch got just under 2,000. I threw the packet with the election result out the window. One of our supporters outside must have seen it fall, for one man jumped from the wall and got the paper. And when we heard the cheer outside, we knew the crowd had the news. So that's what Pew says about it. So I suppose today we'd, you know, it's like somebody having a, a tweet or something, yeah. uh, you know, sent out uh, a spoiler giving the election result. But De Valera gives this speech, his maiden speech on the steps of the courthouse. He electrifies everyone. He talks about how this victory is a monument for the heroic dead of Easter week who died for us. This victory shows the world that if Irishmen have only the boast of a chance, we will fight for the independence of Ireland. This is a victory for the independence of Ireland 
and for the Irish Republic. Note how impersonal this is. Again, there have been a row amongst the Republicans as who they would stand. Would they stand Pater Clancy, a local Clare 1916 veteran? Would they stand Arthur Griffith? Would they stand Owen McNeill? And very much throughout the campaign, this is always De Valera's line. This is not about me. This is about the Republic and uh, endorsing it. And there's huge celebrations throughout Clare, throughout Ireland, um, related to this. Mm -hmm. And the Irish Times actually sums it up. And the Irish Times then would have been a very anti-Republican, pro-Unionist, inverted commas, West Brit newspaper. And this is what they say in their editorial. The Sinn Féin victory in Roscommon and Longford were remarkable. But nobody could have deduced from them the crushing character of Mr de Valera's victory in East Clare. The Sinn Féin policy demanding an independent Irish Republic has captured East Clare, triumphed over the memory of Major Redmond, a devoted soldier. And this is the key bit. These rebels have defeated the authority of the Catholic Church and swept the Home Rule Party aside. And republicanism must henceforth be an important, if not the controlling factor in Irish politics. They got it exactly right, nail on the head. And you can say the same thing. De Valera was an important, if not the controlling factor in Irish politics for a long time, as well as the republican idea that was voted for here. Mm -hmm. So it's very much a precursor of Sinn Féin's uh, election victory in the general election of the following year yeah the, the the slogan that was used at the time uh throughout ireland anywhere Sinn fein or the republicans were, were canvassing was the parliamentary party wounded in Los, in roscommon killed in longford and buried in east clare oh. so it marked the death knell really of the parliamentary party and the ball was past the de valera and the Sinn feiners do you want to say a few words about the commemoration? This is the centenary of, of de Valera's election. One thing that's come up in the media recently is the idea of abstentionism. It was run this election on the idea that we do not take our seats in the British House of Commons. We are Irish men and we would never swear an oath of allegiance to the British King. They have no right to ever, you know, legislate for Ireland. In the North, the Sinn Féin party recently has made political gains and Fianna Fáil have criticised them very heavily saying... You should give up abstentionism. You should take your seats. It's a failed policy. Now, it's perfectly fine for guys in the SDLP who actually stand in the north and who do take up their seats to criticise Sinn Féin for it because they're putting their money what their mouth is. But Fianna Fáil don't currently stand uh, candidates in the north of Ireland. So they're being a bit hypocritical, uh, despite Bertie Ahern and Michal Martin both saying that they will eventually stand Fianna Fáil candidates in the north. But Sinn Féin themselves, um, when they got abstentionism, and they're a party that talks about history a lot, but often make kind of glaring mistakes in how they, they present it. They talked recently, uh, Chris Hazard was recently elected the Sinn Féin MP for South Down, and Sinn Féin came out and said, this is amazing, it's the first time that a Republican has ever held a seat. It's not. From 1934 to 1938, Eamon de Valera, while being Taoiseach of Ireland, was the Member of Parliament for South Down in, in, in the North. He was entitled to take his seat in the House of Commons, but even after the South had independence, he maintained his abstentionist policy and refused to go in to the British Parliament. So I think that's very interesting given the kind of stuff we, you know, the stuff you hear in the media about the current Sinn Féin abstentionist policy. But the East Clare election, it's it, it passed the national media and locally in Clare, it's it passed it by. And this is a very important, it's a very key event. Um, and I suppose the reason is, Firstly, there's two reasons. Number one, um, 1916 was a major event. It couldn't be ignored, but it's also um, a Dublin event. And, you know, the majority of the population lives in Dublin. There was a kind of great emphasis put on it. Things that happened, smaller things that happened down the country, ambushes, by-elections and all that, there doesn't seem to be a government plan to commemorate them. 
And the other thing is that it's it's not as dramatic as the 1916 Rising, even though these by-elections are, are hugely important in shaping what happens in the War of Independence. Um, and people say, well, sure, who cares about the by-election? Nobody got killed. Actually, someone did. Uh, a guy called uh, Daniel Scanlon was uh, a member of the, the Irish Volunteers, and um, Ireland, Republican Ireland, throughout the country, celebrated De Valera's election victory. There were blazing tar barrels, bonfires, you know, torchlight processions, the kind of things the Healy Rays still do down in uh, in Kerry. But um, on the 11th of July 1917, the day that the De Valera is elected, there's a Republican parade through Ballybunion in North Kerry to celebrate his election victory. Now, as the parade goes out through the town um, to the main bonfire, passing the RIC station, an off-duty British soldier, serving British soldier, who supports De Valera, which tells you how confusing the politics of the time are, picks up a rock and throws it at the, the RIC station, and there's no response. Two hours later, as the Republican parade is coming back, the RIC open fire without warning, and they kill a guy called Daniel Scanlon. He's a, a local kind of Republican activist. And two members of the RIC are actually charged with his murder, but it gets dropped. And what's shocking to me is this is the first guy who's killed in... I suppose, the War of Independence in, in Kerry. And we hear a lot of talk from politicians about how important this period of our history is and commemorating it. I've done an internet search. I've gone to North Kerry. I've asked questions of politicians on the ground. As far as I can see, the 100th anniversary of this guy's death was not commemorated by Fianna Fáil, uh, Fine Gael, Sinn Féin or Labour. Now, perhaps some of the kind of parties in the fringes of Irish politics, like Republican Sinn Féin, might have commemorated. But as far as I can see, this guy, the first guy killed in Kerry, was not remembered in um, in Kerry at all. And I think these by-elections, really, in this period of history, is passing us by because the government's official decade of centenaries, Oireachtas Committee, was disbanded after the last election a year ago, after, you know, the big 2016 centenaries. And... When it came to these by-elections, the um, Count Plunkett's one in uh, North Roscommon, there was no state commemoration, even though it was the first of these elections, only Sinn Féin marked it. And then come in May of 2017, again, McGuinness's election in um, in Longford, it seems to have been just a Sinn Féin thing, there was no county council or uh, no government thing. And when it comes to Clare, what's actually happening is, I give a lecture myself, Clare Library organised a small photographic exhibition and I think had a talk but there was no national, there was no county council celebration. Now, Fianna Fáil, I think, have organised one. Um, I think they were caught in the, the hop, though, because they didn't organise it on the day the actual event happened. 11th of July is the date that De Valera was elected, and they were holding their commemoration on the 22nd of July. What ended up happening were Clare were drawn for Tipperary in the hurling, and suddenly an event that was should have been commemorated at the start of July by Fianna Fáil um, was suddenly being moved almost the end of July into to August. And, I mean, I've talked to people in Fianna Fáil in, in Clare about this, and they've said, well, look, we're organising something. But I say, yeah, look, Fianna Fáil are the political inheritors of De Valera. There's no question about that. You own De Valera. But you don't own the history and the heritage of the East Clare by-election. Because people like Constance Markovic, Thomas Ash, um, you know, Michael Collins, Arthur Griffith, people who ended up going in various different political directions all came down in canvas for him. And this was a moment of national importance. And it's an indictment of the decade of centenaries um, that it was four years long. We went from 1912 to 1916, and then we stopped. And I think what we're going to see for the rest of the decade of centenaries is stuff that happened outside Dublin is not important. 
the government either isn't going to commemorate it or various political parties who can try and you know claim it will, will do so and this is excluding the community it's excluding historians and i think we're going to see a big fuss made over the first doll all the ambushes and the military events afterwards it'll be left to the people who always commemorated it local historians uh, relatives with not much state support behind it and we've already heard talk from Morris Manning and from the the, uh, the Civil War. We should have just have one big event to commemorate it. Let's not discuss the details. It's too difficult. Whereas my attitude is, look, we can't bury our head in the sands in these things. We need to discuss the nitty gritty of what happened. And it shouldn't be left to political parties of, of any hue. This is our history and heritage. It belongs to all of us who live in a modern Ireland. Okay, Padraig O'Rourke, thank you very much. Thank you, John. So that was John Dorney speaking to Dr. Porrick Og O'Rourke. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish History Pod or on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash the Irish History Show. If you get a chance, please take a moment, rate and review the show on iTunes, Spotify, or whichever podcast platform you get us on. If you'd like to listen to any previous episodes of the show, you can go to our website, irishhistoryshow.ie. So until next time, my name is Cahill Brennan. And thank you for listening. Radio.ie hosts the Irish History Show podcast because history matters. Radio turns 100 years young this year. Radio's history is powered by Radio Archives. For radio archiving solutions from people passionate about radio, visit radio.ie.